It's This Week in Bourbon, where you get the latest and the hottest trends what's happening inside of bourbon news. And here's your headlines for January 14th, 2022. Bullet has just retained its top position as the best-selling American whiskey in the world's best bars. We ask ourselves and we get some information as Basil Hayden and Granddad, are they really the same? In Ultimate Fighting Championships, Dustin Poirier has launched his own rare stash bourbon. But before we get started, here's a quick word from our partners. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000 do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back, everybody. Another edition of This Week in Bourbon, where... Myself, Ryan, and or myself, Kenny, and also Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Is there a third joining us? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> there, was a, there, was a, there was like a comma after me. No. <laughs> or a, a colon or a, uh, so I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not, not going to say I'm an English major by any means, but I did stumble over my words, but I just wanted to say that we are here to kind of give you the latest in what's happening in bourbon news for the week. This was a, this was also a roundtable week, so we also discussed a little bit of other kind of light news, but that was more or less what was happening, a big cultural change. And we talked about some 2022 predictions and I know we had talked about some stuff, but nothing has come to light as of yet in 24 hours since the release of the round table. So rest assured, there's no, no spoiler alerts today. No predictions 
have came to fruition yet? No, unfortunately, no. not just yet, not just yet. But let's go ahead and... We'll, I can't even remember what I predicted. Oh, <laughs> uh, you predicted a lot. Let's see, you talked about... Uh, I know, I think I took three. I hogging <laughs> the mic. I'm sorry about that. Well, people. that's what you do. Uh, you know, you, you go to the horse track and you don't just choose one horse. You you, you try to spread your, your losses amongst yeah. multiple. So, you 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 know, that's that's kind of the way to do it. You box them in, the three horses. <laughs> yeah. you know? That's why you box it. Pay the extra money to box it. Mm-hmm. And then you exact a box because the, tri- the trifecta... You do a trifecta or exact a box. What's your goal usually well trifecta if i want a bigger payday but if i feel like just trying to make money exacta is probably the way to go i i agree i'm i'm big on exactas and doing exacta boxes but i can count on one hand how many times i've won them (laughs) yeah that that's horse racing but (laughs) you're only risking like 10 or 12 dollars to win you know 500 to 1000 depending on how sucky the horses are so it's it's a good risk reward for me and it's fun and I get to drink in between. So it's funny. You mentioned like four or $500. I don't want people to get the wrong idea because I used to do all kinds of exacta box racing. And the few times that I have won, it's been hundred, 120, all $120 <laughs> payoffs. Yeah. It's cause, yeah. well, I mean, if you choose the horse that's running at four to five odds, and then the right. next, and you've got to choose one because you, you, you take that horse no matter what, because it's going to probably come in first or second. And then you have to choose another horse that's somewhere between six to nine or six to 12 odds, because those are the likely Yeah, you got to get the 15 to 20 to win and that four to five come in second. That's when you get those five, four to $500. Exactly. But they don't come in very often, so mm-hmm. you know my that's why my, my that's why I'm that's why I have four businesses and one of them not horse gambling. <laughs> <laughs> We're not in the bloodstock business yet. No, my my dad's secret was he said if you put twenty dollars on the favorite to win every single race, you're probably going to come out ahead at the end of the day. Oh yeah, probably. I mean. I would think so, but we're too dumb to do it. <laughs> it's not fun, though. It's like, oh, chalk, chalk, chalk. Yeah. Well, we'll put it to test one of these days. But let's go ahead and let's start diving in with some news here. So the first headline that we just talked about is Diageo's Bullet has just retained its top position as the best-selling American whiskey in the world's best bars. Having been named the top seller in the 20% of polled venues, this Kentucky straight bourbon is hugely popular with bartenders across the globe, and just one vote separated that from Sazerac's Buffalo Trace. In fact, only three votes separated the top three whiskeys in the list, with Beam Centauri's Maker's Mark completing the podium of being the number three there. So the top three whiskeys combined accounted for almost half of the house pours in the industry's most revered bars. Michter's remains sturdy in fifth with a solid set of votes in 2021. And as a result, and also has a cult following amongst many bartenders in the, the global bar industry. This, of course, uh, it's an, Michter's is also a big supporter of the, uh, of the trade, and that's kind of given to its popularity. But they also said that their 10-year-old expression is part of why it comes atop of those lists every single year as well. Jack Daniels, one of the other biggest names in whiskey, sat just one place below Michter's in terms of ranking in the best-selling list, but significantly below in terms of votes, with only around 5% less. Another heavyweight on the list is Jim Beam, which has made the best-selling ranking uh, this year at number 9, and some of the bars now serving three or more American whiskeys found that this million-case brand received only 16% of the votes. 
And hanging on to its spot at the bottom of the list it is Heaven Hill's Rittenhouse. And so this rye whiskey wasn't in the house pour at a single venue, but it did take an impressive 10% of the second choice whiskeys in their poll, twice that of Bullet. And Elijah Craig, the super premium bourbon produced by Heaven Hill, is the biggest absentee from the best-selling list this year, having missed out on the top 10 by only a few votes. But its solid position is still in the top trending section, suggests that it could have a comeback in 2023. So this was based, I, I read this, but I was kind of confused because it's not based on what sold the most. It's what they like to sell the I most. I believe it's the, what bartenders voted on, correct? Gotcha. Yeah, because I think like Beam would be number one uh, or, you know, as a well or whatever. Um, you would think it'd be stuff that pays the bills they would like to sell. But uh, it's one of those things you, you yeah. have to be cheap behind the bar to be on here. Because yeah, that's why I'm surprised Victor's 10 made it because it's so expensive. You know, that's, gosh, $100 re- retail. I mean, what cocktail are you buying with Victor's 10? <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> I, I don't. That's a one hell of a bougie old fashioned. <laughs> Either we've got to figure out what bars are serving Victor's 10 as their well and, and go and check it out, or or there's something there that we didn't, that just wasn't coming through in the, in the news article. I have no idea. Yeah, I feel bad just. When I make an Elijah Craig barrel proof old fashioned, you know, and that's like 60 bucks. Uh, and Michter's 10 old fashioned. That's got to be some good stuff. Well, you know, you're a big bourbon guy when you're making your old fashions and your Manhattans with barrel proof. I, that's what I've started to go with now. I, I can't, oh, I can't do it. I have to. I can't do it below, you know, below 100 proof anymore. If I'm making it at home, it's just tough. I do, I will say, I will give a nod to the bartenders and everything like that because I know they don't use barrel proof and they're usually over 100 proof, but they usually have some other better mixers or blenders or some sort of, something that's in the cocktail, whether it's the Amaro or something like that, that I don't have here at home that I'm I'm putting in mind because I'm just getting a spoonful of syrup and a <laughs> and some whiskey and kind of mixing Eat it together. bitters. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bullets just, it's amazing what Diageo has done to that brand, you know, how, how fast they have climbed to the top, not just, they're probably the third or fourth, probably biggest brand just on sales alone, I bet. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's incredible. You know, that's what money can do for you. And a lot. And the whiskey's good too. Yeah. I was about to say that's, I I feel that's going to be one brand that people need to probably pay more attention to when it comes to barrel picks is bullet barrel picks because it is fantastic fantastic bourbon and it's at 104 proof and we're already at the point now where you can't get the 11 years anymore from what i've told if you go and select they're already down to nine years so even if you got in last year or a year before then and they're 11 12 years old those days are over already so make sure that if you get a chance to get some of these barrel picks go and try them i think you'll be be pleasantly surprised yeah, and I was surprised to see Makers up there so high because it's, you know, really soft and doesn't hold up well in cocktails. But I can also see it, too. It's very popular with the public consumer. And so, uh, uh, yeah, it's probably why it's up there. That's probably why. Good call. It's got red wax. Good call. Popular. <laughs> yeah. So I think this might be the last news story. We'll be talking about it probably for at least a while until there's a recap is that uh, the Kentucky Bourbon Benefit, this was a group that was formed by the, the KDA, Kentucky Distillers Association, the Bourbon Crusaders, and of course, our the famous bourbon curator, are also our good friend, the other host of this podcast, Fred Minnick, to help raise funds to help Kentucky recover from the December 10th tornado 
that think came through the western portion part of the state. Uh, the money that was finally raised was presented to Governor Andy Bashir on Tuesday this past week, and this Kentucky Bourbon Benefit tripled its goal and raised a total of $3.4 million via a six-day auction of rare bottles and private barrel selections. And this check was presented again to Andy Bashir. But there also had other things that happened during this time. You had Beam Centauri that also donated another million dollars, and Wild Turkey also donated $50,000 to the tornado relief. So once again, another yeah, I saw that on Instagram. That was that's pretty cool to get to hand the governor a check like that. That's and that that's probably too really good for the industry. I mean, of course, the charity is awesome and the support for the victims, but it's got to be good for the industry. You know, saying, look, we're not just some you know decrepit alcohol industry ruining lives of people. It shows like what good and positive you know our community can do. So hopefully, it helps us. Uh, you know, when bills come. Some time for bills to pass, they kind of recognize that. That's a that's a very good take, and I hope that that does get noticed. That well, I, I don't want to say it's supposed to be used as a bargaining chip, but it definitely could show the goodwill that that does come out of this. That it's more that our state is capable of doing, uh, rather than just all the all the taxes that go towards uh, paying everything. I mean, gosh, it, nobody realizes how much taxes are taken out of alcohol that goes into. Um, you know, the, the government, the funding, roads, schools, I mean, you name it. Um, but hopefully this is maybe one step in the direction that we can use this as a, as some leverage to say like, look, we we're able to provide a lot of stuff here. Um, maybe, maybe take some of those taxes down just a little bit. Um, we, we'd like to. It's $13 and 50 cents per proof gallon in case anyone uh, is wondering. That's exactly how much. <laughs> exactly how much it is. It's a, it's a yeah. lot of money at the end of the day. We'll talk about that way more in depth at a, maybe in a different podcast one of these days. All right. On to the next one here is that luxury cognac brand Hennessy is joining a new trend by launching its first NFT or non-fungible token. And this is according to their newest release. If you got to see the picture on Instagram, it is a beautiful looking decanter. Um, so this NFT will consist of a dual drop of decanters, which is number one and number 250 of a 250 bottle run. And these, these are going to be sold by the NFT marketplace called Block Bar, which has conducted sales for Glenfiddich as well as the Dalmore. And this is called the Hennessy 8. It's a tribute to eight generations of master blenders for Hennessy. It is a blend featuring spirits produced by all eight blenders, including the current master blender, Renan Filot de Gironde. I probably really screwed that one up. So the two... That's a hell of a name. I, that sounds better than Ryan Cecil. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Cecil. So the two Hennessy 8 NFTs will be available to one buyer only, priced at a total of 70.47 ETH, which is currently right now at around $226,000, according to BlockBar. So potential buyers will be able to access the digital lobby around 9.30 a.m. in this past Wednesday, providing they have at least one ETH in their wallet and connected to their site. And all users will be put into a line randomly and then block bar will proceed through the queue until a buyer is confirmed. The purchase will net the buyer a record of authenticity held on the blockchain as a digital certificate of ownership. The buyer may then claim the physical cash or the physical asset and have it delivered from block bar's secure storage facility or trade its NFT version with inside of the blockbar.com marketplace. The other 248 decanters will be marketed separately by Hennessy. So there we go. More stuff getting to the NFT space. Um, I'd like to say that this was a a big 
trend and prediction that we had yesterday on the roundtable. However, I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of stuff come in the NFT space. It just won't be as prolific, I think, until next year. I think that's when we're going to see a lot of stuff start hitting. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see, you know, there was an interesting discussion on the roundtable with the NFT, NFT and NFC, how they can make them work. And yeah, I'm excited to see. It definitely seems like there's a place for it in the spirits it's just funny i think it validates mostly illegal activity <laughs> right now but uh i don't know that's that's interesting it is it is your way to sort of get around the actual physical trading and handing of bottles but instead you're like hey here's a certificate that says that you own this bottle like it's like it reminds me of dumb and dumber like here's an iou this one's to a lamborghini you might yeah. want to hold on to this one <laughs> that's just as good as cash you might want to hang on to that one <laughs> That's I love that. That movie's so great. All right. So let's talk about some dry January stuff. We're gonna we're gonna get some of this news kind of rolling in. But I like to I like to have the the news articles that validate what I like to say. And since this is our news show, that's what we're gonna do. So this one says that uh, quote, there is no science to support a belief that taking a month off of drinking is actually good for your liver. And this is according to gastroenterologist Dr. Michael Epstein, who is a liver doctor in Boston, Massachusetts, and he's affiliated with Beth Israel Deacons Medical Center. He wrote this column uh, in Decanter, and this was actually done uh, quite a while ago. It actually appeared first in the wine publication back in 2016. Um, but this clearly explain exactly how our bodies process alcohol as he considered the science of dry January. So again, it was published back in 2016, but it's still relevant, so it's worth revisiting. Noting that the enzymes responsible for breaking down alcohol in the liver are created by our body when needed. Epstein says that to think that those who drink regularly can metabolize more alcohol than those who drink occasionally because daily imbibers have livers with more than these enzymes. In essence, that means that a regular moderate drinker will be able will be better at processing alcohol than those who have been through a period of abstinence, such as dry January. So if you're a regular moderate drinker who enjoys red wine with food, then don't feel that you have to give up your desired drop for health reasons. So that's one. Uh, one more thing when we start talking of actually, never mind. I do want to stop there because this next one isn't really uh, science related, but uh, I do like to see this one. Like I said, there's there's all kinds of articles that come out, but I like to pick and choose the ones that that fit our narrative because is this is this anecdotal or science <laughs> or advocacy? Well, when I when I think of this, I, I look at it and. You know, as somebody that's also building a bourbon brand, I don't want people to stop drinking. I get it. There's some health benefits to be able to do that. And maybe it's just a reset. Maybe it's a mental reset more than anything rather than a, a physical or, or, or body reset. Uh, but at the same exact time, this is also something that sort of sprung up as an underground grassroots movement um, by a different generation. Not to say that, you know, everybody's following along with it, but you you can't sit there and say that everybody should just go and you know be a part of dry january i think we talked about this last week is that there are very much adverse effects to this as it comes to uh the the industry itself uh bar professionals everybody like that that does suffer because of of things like this and that's why whistle pig even come out with their own non-alcoholic whiskey to combat this sort of thing as well yeah there's unintended consequences with everything when you try to do something widespread you know and blanket it's like, and two, I've read studies that 
people actually drink more coming out of dry January to compensate. They're like, oh, I made it. And then they drink more. And, it's, and like you said, it's not like the body, it's not like you gain back time from taking that month off. It only produces, built, you know, the bilirubin levels are only there when needed when you drink. So, I mean, I'm, I'm all for people resetting, like reevaluating their relationship with alcohol if it's too much. But to think that a month off is going to, you know, say buy you another six months or something at the end of the road. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of silly. Far fetched. It's a little far fetched. I I agree with you there, and I'm sure next month we'll be validating your claims there as well. We'll we'll see these these articles come out too. So as I'd mentioned, <laughs> this one's also about dry January, but at a much different context. So while dry January might may not be at the top of everyone's priority list this year in the midst of the hospitality's almighty and ongoing struggle caused by the coronavirus pandemic. It's fair to say that many felt that Pabst Blue Ribbon took the whole thing a little too far earlier this week. So Pabst Blue Ribbon posted a since-deleted tweet that read, not drinking this January, try eating ass. In a statement public that were provided by their vice president of marketing for Paps Blue Ribbon, they said, we apologize about the language and the content of our recent tweets. The tweets in question were written in poor judgment by one of our associates, and in no way does the content of these tweets reflect the values of Paps and our associates. I do remember... It's PBR. I mean, they're... they're what values? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> why do they have to apologize? It's a joke. Come on. I know. I mean... <laughs> I, I, did, I, did, I did see that. I saw the... I didn't actually see the tweet because it was deleted by the time I went to it, but I did see a, a screenshot of it and I was like, all right, that's that's kind of funny. We'll include that one. Why not? No, we're going to have to apologize. I'm not apologizing, so don't <laughs> demand it, people. All right. Just don't... If I think it's funny, it's funny. Yeah, just just don't tell people to go eat ass. All right. So this is a, another worldly one here, and this isn't really bourbon-related news by any means, but Ireland's government has now imposed a minimum unit price on alcoholic beverages, and this started on Tuesday. Uh, might have been last week or maybe this week. I can't remember, but it is one of the few nations that are introducing this rule as a public health measure intended to curb binge drinking and reduce alcohol-related health issues. This rule store, this means that stores, restaurants, and pubs must now sell drinks containing alcohol for no less than 10 cents per gram of the substance. Officials said that the measure was aimed at making cheaper and stronger alcoholic products less readily available, particularly for young people and heavy drinkers. This rule requires a price of one euro or $1.13 per standard drink. That means the bottle of wine containing 12.5% of alcohol which is equivalent to around 7.4 standard drinks, cannot be sold for less than 7.40 euros, around $8.35. So on average, people in Ireland aged 15 or over drink the equivalent of 40 bottles of vodka, 113 bottles of wine, or 436 pints of beer in 2019. This is according to Ireland's health services. With the new rule, Ireland is following in the footsteps of neighbors like Scotland, which became one of the first nations to introduce minimum pricing for alcohol in 2018, and Wales in 2020. And researchers from the University of Sheffield and Public Health Scotland have already found that the policy in Scotland led to a significant decrease in alcohol consumption among those with a dependence on the substance. So interesting to kind of see this sort of turn of events, which you think like, oh, I'm going to Ireland. I'm probably going to drink a lot of beer and alcohol. I don't know. I I think I find it really hard to kind of put these minimum mounts in because the idea is that you're trying to thwart off uh, more underage drinking. But one thing always going to lead to something else. So if you if you think that you're going to try to price people out of it, they're just going to go find something else. 
Yeah, and it just all it really does is pick on poor people. Really, it just most people, you know, poor people are drink alcohol to get because their life's poor and it sucks, and you're gonna make it harder on them by raising their booze. I mean, come on, let's. It's not gonna deter people that drink it. They're just gonna find other substances and maybe even harsher ones. So I don't know. I'm I'm not a. I hate these widespread policies because they have unintended consequences. And here we go again. You know, mm-hmm. it's. It's like you're picking on the people you don't want to pick on. Yeah, and there was another. When I know, I know they they have good intentions, but I just don't think it's going to do what they think it is. I totally think you're right. And there was another article that came out that was, and again, shout out to WhiskeyRaiders.com is where I found this one that said that an outraged Irish man went to his local Aldi on Monday and stocked up on one year's supply of beer for the day before Ireland's new rule mandating a minimum price actually went into effect. So Dennis Boyle, his age was 47, bought nearly 300 cans of a German Pilsner and almost 100 bottles of a French lager, according to the Irish Mirror. Boyle said that he is not a big drinker and doesn't buy spirits, so roughly the 400 beers should last him about a year. He spent around $397 on the beer, which will save him somewhere around $227 in the long run. So, Until he flips it. There you go. In a couple weeks. Save. Yeah. And bought a, do the, bought a low car. Put that NFC chip. <laughs> track. It all, look at it. It all comes full circle. All comes back around. So here was a great article, and I, I wanted to include this one, and it's not all verbatim out of here, but this is a huge shout out to Chuck Cowdery. He is a past guest on the podcast, and he is by far one of the most knowledgeable people about bourbon out there. And he came out with a article that said, are, are Basil and old granddad the same? Which we've always talked about for a while. Like, well, yeah, of course, like you would always buy old granddad over Basil Hayden because it's the same thing, just at a higher proof, so on and so forth. So here is a little bit of a history lesson for you. So if you didn't get a chance to go read it on Chuck's blog, here's a little bit of an excerpt from it. So Old Grandad is a brand that originated in the 19th century. It was started by R.B. Hayden and had several different owners on both sides of Prohibition, but it eventually became part of Seton Porter's National Distillers. However, in 1987, National sold all of its beverage alcohol assets to the parent company of Jim Beam, which also landed Old Grandad into the Beam portfolio. Old Grandad was just one of many brands Beam acquired in that deal, but it was unique. National's other bourbons, such as Old Crow, were similar enough to Jim Beam that when the whiskey inventory acquired the, and, the, and the deal that ran out, they could put Jim Beam liquid into Old Crow bottles and no one would be the wiser, which is exactly what they did and no one noticed. But they couldn't do that with Old Granddad because it used a different recipe, a particular yeast strain and a mash bill that contained about twice as much rye as Jim Beam and consequently much less corn. Old Granddad was considered premium, and the executives at Beam saw very little opportunity to grow to grow the Old Granddad brand, but they very much wanted to preserve the sales that it had. So they meticulously researched it with consumers and concluded that the additional cost of producing a separate recipe would be offset by the estimated sales that they would lose if they somehow changed the taste. So spending more to keep it the same was worth the investment, and that's what they did, making Old Granddad... Uh, using uh, the same yeast, same high-ride mash bill, same distillation proof, same barrel proof, and everything. So they wanted uh, to just kind of just keep this going along. Uh, So the only change was the actual distillery, although the deal included a place where National had been making Old Granddad. Beam didn't need additional capacity, so they moved the distillation to Clermont. So at the time, Old Granddad itself did not have an 80-proof version of its expression, so they made the small-batch version 
of uh, 80 Proof and at eight years old, and it's named after Basil Hayden or Basil Hayden, the actual grandfather of the brand's founder and the important participant in the earliest history of Kentucky's bourbon heartland. It was positioned as an entry-level offering or what they called a good starter bourbon for scotch drinkers. That was kind of the idea, making Basil Hayden just an older version of 80 Proof Old Granddad, right? I mean, that's what we think. This is where the nuanced no is actually coming in, or more precisely, not exactly. So one aspect of bourbon making is that many enthusiasts miss about the flavor profile. Beam has thousands of barrels of Old Granddad-based distillate aging in many of its warehouses. And after aging, each barrel is just, of course, a little bit different. And mixing the whiskeys from different barrels together is how you create the flavor profile. Every brand and every expression within a brand has a flavor profile that must be maintained from batch to batch. And they still do this the old-fashioned way with human taste testers who compare each candidate bottling batch is a standard for that particular expression. And so maintaining that standard itself can be complicated, but in essence, it just means it tasted what it like it did the last time. And if Basil Hayden's flavor profile is different from old granddad's, and it is, then they are not the same whiskey. Remember that Beam's objective with old granddad for 35 years running now has been to keep it the same. Basil Hayden, however, was a new brand and wasn't targeted at old granddad drinkers. It was crafted to appeal to that bourbon-curious scotch drinker and other entry-level bourbon drinkers. So yes, it's the old granddad distillate, but used in a completely different way. In fact, the Basil Hayden profile is probably as far as you can get from old granddad profile using the same distillate. That was wow. a lot to take in there, but I think it was a, it's a cool little history lesson in really where that so comes from. So it is from. the same mash bill as the National Distillers granddad? It's the same mash bill, same yeast, same everything, just a different... Uh, distillation place. I mean, literally everything from old granddad say the same. It was the mash bill. It was the yeast. Um, all and I, I'd even put it in there. But even uh, Chuck mentioned that even the same crew, the same people who were making the bourbon at National Distillers, even went over to the Claremont Distillery and started distilling there as well. Wow, uh, it tastes nothing like the old. <laughs> The old granddad of old days, the National Stillers. I guess the, maybe it's the warehousing and the still that make a that huge of a difference. I don't know. I mean, we, that's wild. We all say that the still has a is does does do a, a lot of stuff there, so that does impart part of a flavor profile and stuff like that. So it, it could be that it could be age that goes into it because back then it could have been a little bit older stock that was going into it. Now it's sure. probably anywhere between four to six or six to eight years old. So you do have a little bit of that, that difference that goes into it. It's a little bit, a little bit nuanced there. I know I'd love to do a, you know, next time we go to BBC, do you have any old granddad? We should take some old granddad of the old and the new and put it in one of their hydro, you know, that whatever spectrometer readings and see if we spectrometer to see like where the differences are, you know, Mm -hmm. that would be cool to do. Be like, how can we replicate this one? Not so much this one, but this one over here. This one over here. Yeah, yeah, let's do that one. But I, I, I did want to make this, I, I brought this up only because A, it's a cool history lesson, but B, to A, or should I say, kind of see that, yes, you can use the same distillate and you can make all these different brands. And Heaven Hill is by far probably the best one to kind of look at <laughs> yeah. as, as an example because- There's a hundred labels. hundred labels. If not in more. Same exact distillate, the same barrels, the same everything. And they create all these different brands out of it. And they have a different flavor profile for, for each of them. I know it's funny when I tell like new bourbon drinkers that like, you know, a Buffalo Trace, Stag, you know, all those are the same. And then 
Blanton's, Elmer, whatever. You know, the two different yeah. bash bills or whatever, they're always mind blown. They're like, what? Wait a minute. How do they do that? <laughs> How's the... Yeah. But now it's, you know, aging and warehousing and all that. That makes all the difference. There is something to the madness. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back with some bourbon release news. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Welcome back, everybody talking about some bourbon release news. What do you need to know? What's new and what's coming out that you need to get your hands on or start knowing about or asking your local retailer, hey, hold me one of these aside. I want to get I want to get my hands on one of these. And again, starting off the year, little little short on the news here, but let's go ahead. Let's do it anyway. Let's do it anyway. So Limestone Branch Distillery, we have been there. We picked a barrel. We've actually done our own Yellowstone bourbon release, but they are now celebrating their 150th anniversary of Yellowstone bourbon brand by debuting the Yellowstone, sorry, Yellowstone Select Landmark Edition Bottle Series. And this is going to be featuring six different scenes from the national park that inspired the brand. So I guess if you didn't know that why there's Yellowstone, the brand is because it's actually named after Yellowstone National Park. So they today they have not the TV show <laughs> well, uh, it, it, for 150 years. I think they might have been uh, have to figure out had to get a DeLorean and figure out how that that time continuum is going to work. It's winning for both of them. They're they're both glad they each have the each other's name. I know I've noticed that. I'm, I'm sure it all works hand in hand. Actually, now that you say it, there was I'm not even bring it up, but there was another uh, TV show that I watched. And I saw a bottle of Yellowstone on there and I sent a message to Stephen Fonte, who is one of their brand ambassadors and everything. I said, did you all know this was on here? And he goes, yep, pretty cool, huh? <laughs> so I was like, all right, all right. I'll, I'll try to think of it. It was it was a TV show with Kevin Hart. Uh, anybody that's out there trying to think, I think it was a Netflix TV show with Kevin Hart. It, you'll They'll notice a cameo from Yellowstone Bourbon in there. Anyway. Yeah, and it's funny too, real quick, that 
if you watch Yellowstone and a big fan of it, you'll notice that bullet bourbon is placed throughout every episode. So, you know, Diageo's got their hands in that as well. Yep. Anyways, I'm... <laughs> We're digressing from the, the original story. Sorry. Uh, well, you gave me a minute to look it up. It's True Story. So check it out on Netflix. It's called True Story, and you'll see a cameo from Yellowstone Bourbon in there. All right. Back to what we were talking about, though. So uh, this new Landmark Edition series bottle, it's going to have six different scenes from, land, land, from the National Park on there. So, of course, one is the Lower Yellowstone Falls, which is the original image, which you see. The second is Old Faithful. You have the Grand Prismatic Spring, the Minerva Terrace the Roosevelt Arch, and the Lamar Valley. And these are all, again, named after the country's first national park. And Yellowstone Bourbon was introduced in 1872 to honor the park's remarkable beauty and pioneering spirit. Limestone Branch Distillery has continued this tradition of supporting the park through its ongoing partnership with the National Parks Conservation Association. And this these particular edition bottles will be available nationwide at a suggested retail price of $40 while supplies last. Oh, wow. That's a good price. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like in the hundred. Oh, but there you go. I'm going to get one. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Yellowstone. It's it's good, easy drinking, Heaven Hill distillate. <laughs> That's right. I, I, Soon to be MGP. I, I, I threw that one in there, but it's it's good. It's good. Heaven Hill bourbon. It's good in there. So, all right, let's keep going here. So the former interim ultimate fighting championship lightweight champion, Dustin the Diamond Poirier, has expanded his personal empire by launching rare stash bourbon so following in the footsteps of ufc superstar conor mcgregor who launched proper number 12 whiskey back in september 2018 uh however mcgregor has since sold his stake in the company to proximo spirits for around 106 million you know just a little thing here and there uh but he still remains the the popular face of the brand but described on the whiskey's website as a quote world-class collectible bourbon poirier's new venture will not be blended to taste uh, the same from bottle to bottle the UFC star said this bottle is full of celebrations, congratulations, and second chances. Poirier's bourbon comes in a snazzy 750 ml bottle and will retail for $100. All right. I still haven't had Connor's stuff yet, and I guess we need to try that. I mean, I haven't heard. I'm not going to. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to say anything because the last thing I need is uh, Connor McGregor to show up and punch me in the face. Right. Yeah. Be careful. <laughs> you don't want to. Let, yeah, we should move on. We don't piss yeah, these fighters We're not off. gonna piss these people <laughs> off. Um however, I did think it was interesting to kind of see more UFC people. You only gave me a sideways thumb. <laughs> You're going down. I'll teach you. Yeah. Take you take us out. Put me in a full Nelson. Mm -hmm. Uh rear naked choke. We'll be we'll be tapping out. We'll tap out bourbon after that. But I do like to see that that UFC starting to get into this. You we have plenty of types of celebrities that are doing this. And I don't know. I think UFC has been one of those phenomenons of probably the past decade where it has overtaken any other physical contact sport. I mean, Ryan, do you remember growing up and the big thing was like boxing, like people looked forward to pay-per-view boxing and those days really don't. Or Royal Rumble. <laughs> or, or WWE. That's what, I, that's what I looked forward to. All your friends get together and you hope that they, somebody gets the pay-per-view. <laughs> you like to see. On a Sunday night. Uh, Mick Foley thrown down through the cages right. or whatever <laughs> oh yeah it was great well i mean i guess you're right uh even maybe maybe like that's i, I don't want to say kind of like cyclical but, for us but i mean I, I just i just thought you know ufc has kind of been one of those things in the past 10 years that's like grown immensely 
and and it's become way more popular than boxing, way more popular in WWE that that I've seen in uh, at least in in pop culture and and what I'm uh, you know privy to seeing. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because you know boxing. When I was growing up, you know, you had characters like Tyson and Holyfield and this and that. Whereas UFC is like a, I don't know, it's like the whole community is like respected and like there's not just like one person driving it. You know, I mean, maybe Joe Rogan, you know, broadcasting might be why, because um, he has such a huge following with the podcast. But yeah, it's a it's a phenomenon, like you said. Yeah, I, I only because I used to love UFC growing up. I mean, back when it was Dan the Beast Severin and Ken Shamrock and stuff like that's when I started getting into it and watching it, and that's really what got me hooked on it. And then it became popular, and now I don't watch it as much because it it did become so popular. It's just one of those things that you do see this sort of shift now in in how people perceive these people. But I just remember one of those things that boxing was always huge. You did have those Tysons and those Holyfields and stuff like that back then. And and it's hard to find boxing at the same level now as, as UFC. But maybe I should quit because now we're going to have boxers punching me in the face now too if I'm, if I'm digging on their sport. Yeah, Floyd Mayweather and all them are like, why aren't you talking about me? <laughs> tell, you, tell me about Floyd. Come out with the bourbon. We'll, we'll bring you up. <laughs> yep. It's all it takes. Probably not too far off. Yeah. That's, that's all it takes. All right. So this is the, the last one that we kind of talk about. This isn't a new bourbon release, but every time I see some sort of new alcohol come to the market that piques my interest, I'm like, eh, you know what? Probably gonna have to talk about this one. So Coca-Cola is going further into the alcohol space with a version of their popular zero-calorie Fresca soft drink. So in partnership with Corona beer owner Constellation Brands, they'll be releasing this lemon-flavored canned cocktail known as Fresca Mixed and another line of other spirit-based hard cocktails. This also follows Coca-Cola's launch of Topo Chico Hard Seltzer in partnership with Molson Coors. So in 2020, uh, that happened in 2020. But Fresca, which is commonly used at college parties and open bars as mixers, was they called a natural progression. Financial terms were not disclosed, but the partnership is expected to boost Coca-Cola's efforts into a rapidly growing and sharply competitive space of to-go cocktails. Now, I found this interesting because, A, I didn't know Fresca was still big at college parties as mixers or something like that because... I remember growing up, my mom was a huge Fresca drinker and I saw this and I sent it over to her and she had like waving hands emojis. Yeah, the Fresca thing, I mean, I thought it, I, I was like you, I forgot it even existed. And then I went to a, a golf course one day and like everybody was drinking this drink called Game Day and it was Fresca, vodka and like a splash of orange juice or something. Really? And I'm like, and it's like a thing now. So I guess it kind of makes sense. I don't know that they'd come out with an RTD with it. It's actually really good. It's good on refreshing summer kind of drink for on the golf course. It makes sense. It makes sense. Why not? I'll try it. Well, put me in line when the the six packs. We'll make some tomorrow. Yeah, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that. (laughs) All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's This Week in Bourbon. We went over a lot of news. We had some bourbon stuff. We had some not some bourbon stuff, some worldly stuff, some Coca-Cola Fresca stuff. But hey. If there's anything good that we see happen across the newswire or that comes through a Google search for bourbon, we're going to let you know about it. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs>